Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouas. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to another show of questions and answers. Your questions and Sheikh Ibrahim Wiss comes back and alhamdulillah uh, gives us a, a detailed version of the answer. And uh, we really appreciate the time and effort that Sheikh does put in to uh, come back with uh, um, re- research answers and uh, sometimes uh, with uh, proofs as well. So much appreciated, Sheikh. Let's welcome Sheikh back as well. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Wa alaikum as wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, Sister Hawa, and to our listeners uh, of the Voice of the King. Jazakallah. Um, Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. Uh, this one says shukran for, the, for, for a great program. Um, a similar question has come in before, but this one reads If one retires recently and a provident fund has given 2.5 from the full amount, do I have to give every year um, a, on balance? have to live off that money. I hope Sheikh is able to. Yeah. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah rabbil alameen. Wa sallallahu ala sayyidina Muhammadin wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een. The general principle with regards to zakah is that whatever amount you physically possess that is in your possession uh, and it reaches a nisab. A nisab is a minimal amount that is zakah payable. Mm. So the zakah stands currently at about more or less 5,000 rand. So if you have a 5,000 rand in your possession and you own it for one lunar year, for one full year without using it, then at the end of that year, 2.5% is payable on mm. that 5,000. All right. So the issue here is if you have an amount that has been paid out to you now and you only took possession now of it. Mm. So obviously it means that your year will only start now. So that at the end of this year, if you still have that full amount, which is it must be more than 5,000, then you will have to pay 2.5% on that amount at the end of the year. Now, the issue I think more that a lot of people ask is, if I have a certain amount, let's say I have in the bank 50,000 rand, mm-hmm. and that is the only money I have, and I'm living off from that money because I'm, a, I'm retired, um, should I still pay zakah on it every year? The answer is yes, you should still pay zakah on it every year, 2.5%. As long as those two conditions are met, as long as it is a nisab, which is the minimal amount of 5,000, and as long as you had owned it for more than one year. Okay? So regardless whether it's a savings, whether it's something paid to you as a fund or etc., if you, those conditions are met, then 2.5% will have to be paid. Uh, that is the haq of the, the poor person that, that he or she deserves from your money. And it should be done, inshallah ta'ala. And uh, remember I said, it's only money that you have in your possession. Not money that is not yet or that is still going to come to you, etc. That obviously does not feature. Uh, it is only when it is actually in your possession and you actually have the access to it that you will be able to uh, pay zakah on it the way that I've described. Jazakallah, Sheikh. Okay, so um, interesting question from Hamida. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh and Khawa. Wa alaikum salam. What are your thoughts on shave-a-thon and coloring hair? Um, I've recently seen that happening in the malls now as well, Sheikh. Shouldn't we as Muslims find other ways of supporting cancer sufferers? Yeah, certainly I agree uh, that is possibly not the only way. There's many other ways that uh, one can show you solidarity with uh, people that are obviously cancer survivors, etc., uh, although uh, we know that the intentions are good, obviously, but we as Muslims, we have our own sort of criteria of doing things and there are certain things that are off limits for us, etc. So the the issue that comes up here is the shaving, the shaving of hair. Uh, of course, for a woman, it is, uh, according to most scholars, 
it is not allowed for a woman to shave her hair completely like a manhood uh, unless there is a reason for it and all the reasons that are provided is if there is some uh, issue you know with a woman's skin or scalp or a hair etc and the only way to get rid of the problem is to shave it off completely then that can happen for that particular reason but for any other purpose a woman is not allowed to shave uh, because we know that the the woman's beauty lies in her hair etc and there's actually a hadith that speaks about this with the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam had mentioned uh, that uh, in fact it is abu musa al-ash'ari and the hadith is in sahih al-bukhari he said that bari'a rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam min as-saliqati wal-haliqati says the prophet sallallahu distanced himself from two types of women the one is the one that wails and cries when a deceased one uh, when someone had died a loved one had died so they showed dissatisfaction with allah's decree so the prophet distanced himself from that woman and also a woman that shaves a head the prophet distanced himself from that woman as well and then there is another hadith in the book of imam tirmidhi that states the Prophet prohibited that a woman should obviously shave her head completely. Because as I said, this is something that males would do. And uh, a, a woman's pride, you know, uh, most of the time, the pride is actually the hair. You know, it's a beauty, it's a, a, a point of, 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 of joy, etc. So it shouldn't be shaven off completely. And then there's also the issue of imitating the men, for example. And we shouldn't uh, imitate, you know, one gender should not imitate the other, etc. So yes, I agree that this is not the best way especially for women uh, to uh, show solidarity with our cancer patients there's many other ways in which you can do it um, uh, and and I agree with the comment of the sister and inshallah we hope that uh, we will be more innovative of thinking about different different ways that are going to help the cause but that is always also at the same time compliant with our deen mm. and that is so important you know you don't have to sacrifice the one for the other we can do a lot of good things without having to compromise on principles of our deen, our beautiful deen of Islam. So, inshallah, we hope Allah inspires us to do just that. Inshallah. Inshallah. Shukran, Sheikh. Okay, so uh, the next one quickly, Sheikh, before we go for our break. When a husband is married in a community of property, how will the other wife inherit? I'm thinking maybe there's a second wife. Yeah, so there's two wives. Uh, the husband is married uh, in community of property only with the one. So, this causes a problem because mm. now what happens is already 50% of the husband's wealth is going to go to the first wife. So the inheritance or the estate will only comprise of the other 50%. Alright. So from that remaining 50% of the husband's estate, from that 50%, both wives, including the first one, will inherit uh, one-eighth or what we would say in percentage, one-eighth would be 12.5%. Right. Is what the wives collectively will inherit from that particular estate. So it affects the, the second wife much more because her 12.5% already is going to be shared with the first wife. And number two, it's only going to come from 50% of the estate mm. because 50% already because of community or property belongs to the first wife. And that is why we should uh, you know, opt, opt rather not to do this but to make clear agreements that uh, you know uh, sign uh, what we call anti-nuptial contracts etc knowing that whatever i possess is mine whatever my wife possesses is hers so that we don't share property like this 50 uh, 50 because this may cause problems with other heirs with other people that are supposed to inherit from us uh, as in the case of the second wife which will definitely be disadvantaged in this particular equation having to share 12 and a half percent with her co-wife only from the 50 percent of the estate 
Jazakallah, Sheikh. And with that, we will end the segment. We'll come back with more of your questions around first and second wise as well. But please do continue sending your SMSs and WhatsApp, uh, rather not WhatsApps, but uh, faxes as well as emails. We'll be back in a moment. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouis. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Welcome back to Q&A, Questions and Answers. Uh, and Sheikh is the resident imam at the Yusufiya Masjid. And uh, you can pop around there in the evenings to find out what sh- uh, classes Sheikh has on a weekly basis. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. If a husband takes a second wife and the first wife throws him out and tells him that she wants nothing to do with him, uh, she never wants to see him again, and she also wants nothing from him, must he still nafaqah her? No, in this case, nafaqa obviously is no longer uh, required uh, because nafaqa is only given under circumstances where there is a marriage and where the uh, spouses, both husband and wife, actually enjoys the privileges that a marriage has to offer. So if that is not in place, especially in this circumstance where the wife actually kicked him out, doesn't want anything to do with him, doesn't want to interact with him, etc. So she is actually forfeiting her nafaka at this point in time. And yes, she, she may be very angry or very upset or emotional because of him taking another wife. However, this measurement of doing this is, is, is not going to solve the problem, number one. And number two is going to cause more difficulty for her. So she should rather speak to him and find out what his reasons were, were etc. and try to have a common understanding. Uh, Imam Nawawi in his book Minhaj al-Talibin, he says very clearly, النفقته وتوابعها تجب بالتمكين التام. He says that nafaqa and that which goes with it is only compulsory when the wife, uh, you know, in a sense, makes herself available to the husband. What it means is she is in a married life and they are having an interaction as husband and wife, as ordinary couples would. In that case, obviously, nafaka would be wajib or compulsory. So obviously, if that is not there, then nafaka would not be wajib until things are resolved, etc. So if a, let's say, for example, also another example of this would be, let's say the wife just decides to, to go on a, on a trip without telling the husband, without consulting, without, you know, getting some kind of uh, common understanding, and she packs her bags and she goes on a trip for a month, you know, overseas, wherever it may be. In that case, for that entire month, he doesn't have to nafaqah her. Hmm. If he did not, uh, if she did not consult and at least get some kind of understanding with him as far as that is concerned. So the same thing applies here. So we would advise the couple rather, you know, and it is, yes, it's a very sensitive thing. Second wife scenarios is never easy. It's always lots of bitterness. Hmm. But the best is to sit down with your husband. Don't chase him away. Sit down with him. Maybe he's got a reason that you don't even know, you know, that, that he didn't disclose to you why he's taking a second wife. Perhaps the understanding can come at a later stage. And I find very often that later on, second wives, they begin to understand a bit better, or they, they cool down a bit, and then they begin to understand. And I also caution the husbands. first wives. Yeah, first wives rather, sorry. Mm. First wives, afterwards they cool down and they, they actually sort of accept the situation. Mm. But I also caution husbands, you know, try to do things the right way. Do things in a honorable and a dignified way. Mm. Don't just run away and get married because it's going to have repercussions. You know, at least speak to your wife about it. And yes, she's not going to be happy. Not all of them you get. Maybe some of them that are okay, but most of them are not going to be happy at first. But when you speak to them, hopefully they will be able to see your reasoning, etc. And I believe through conversation, a lot of things can be solved. and A lot of things can be avoided of difficulties and problems, if at least there's conversation between the couple. 
Jazakallah, Sheikh. Okay, so um, this one reads uh, with regards to inheritance, and I think with setting up a will, I have two daughters, uh, myself and wife, and no parents. How do we share Sharia wa'i, Sheikh? Yeah, so uh, your will obviously will comprise of the following heirs. You have your wife and you have your two daughters. Okay, now I'm not sure whether you have siblings or not, or whether you are aware that siblings will also inherit in this case, if you have. Um, so let's just do that. Um, siblings as well as parents, but you said here yeah, no parents. So okay, that is out of the out of the way. We don't have parents. So now your wife will obviously get 12.5% or one-eighth of, of the estate. Your daughters will get the remaining 66.6%, right? So they will share equally. Your two daughters will share equally 66.6% of the estate. And that is if there is uh, obviously only them. And then there's obviously if you take 66.6 plus 12 and a half, you'll find that there is still a remaining 20 odd percent, right? That, that, that is still to be distributed. Now, in this case, if you have no siblings, then that 20% will be going back to the daughters as well. So they will get their shared uh, portion of 66.6 and 20% or 20.8% will also go back to them as well. So they will effectively then be inheriting 80, 86 point or rather 87.4%, uh, right? So they will share whatever is remaining like that and the wife, your wife will still get the 12.5%. If, however, there are siblings, you have brothers or brothers and sisters, then in that case they will get the remaining share after your wife has taken her 12.5% and your daughters have taken their 66.6%, then the 20.8% will then go to your brothers and sisters. They will definitely inherit in this case. Um, and that is the two scenarios that can possibly be looked at in this case. Jazakallah. Assalamu alaikum. If I only have a daughter and a property, what can I do to ensure my daughter receive the property after my demise but not transferring it uh, while I'm still alive to her? Yeah, this is obviously a tricky one. You can't, you know, have it both ways. Mm. You should either give it to her, gift it to her in your lifetime, right? And of course, if you rear her properly, she will know not to throw you out and not to, you know, she will know hopefully to treat you well, etc. So you either give it to her in your lifetime or if you don't do that, then after uh, you die and you put it in the will, it obviously must be according to Sharia, which means that it has to go to her and the rest of the heirs, if there are any other heirs involved. Okay, the only time that she can still get it after your demise as a full, uh, you know, full-scale estate, and she takes over that entire estate, is if she is either the sole heir, meaning you've got no other heirs, she's the only one, then obviously she will inherit everything. Uh, or on the other hand, let's say there are other heirs, but they actually don't mind for her taking everything. Mm. They don't mind her taking their shares as well. That is the only time that you can then comfortably say that after you die, she is able to get the entire estate or the entire house as it was. So, but in terms of doing it in your lifetime, but you don't want to give it to her now, you want to give it in terms of a will, that is obviously two different issues. You are not able to do that, uh, inshallah ta'ala. So, you should decide which one is better uh, to do. And in fact, uh, there's a rule just in terms of uh, gift giving as well mm. okay because uh, a lot of people think gift giving is just the idea of saying i'm giving you something and then that's it you know gift giving works as such that when you give a gift to somebody there must be acceptance of it and that person must actually uh, take take uh, or seize or take uh, charge of it whatever you had given otherwise it, the contract has not been completed and that is why if one of the persons had died 
before the contract was concluded, then according to some scholars, that falls away then. That old gift issue falls away. There are other scholars like the Shafi'iyya, for example, they say, no, in this case, the heirs of that person will then come in and take the place of the one that was supposed to receive the gift. So these are issues that you must also explore how it works, uh, but those are basically the options for you. Jazakallah, Sheikh. When we come back, there's some more inheritance questions and some, th- uh, some questions around life insurance as well. Please do stay with us. This is Questions and Answers back in a moment. Questions and Answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Mouis. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Welcome back to Questions and Answers. And uh, Sheikh Ibrahim was, is in studio. So, SMSs 47913. We also take your faxes on 021447271. And you may contact Yasmina Peterson during the week uh, on office hours on 021442300. So, Sheikh, what is the ruling on the permissibility of life insurance in its current form in South Africa? Yeah, it is problematic in terms of uh, how it actually works. Uh, as we know that insurance companies, they uh, obviously uh, invest in things that are not halal, etc. Um, so many scholars have uh, you know, given the opinion that the insurance, as it were, the uh, what we call the commercial type of insurance, obviously is not allowed because of a number of issues that clashes with the Sharia. One of it being uh, non-compliance with the source of the money, you know, where the, the, the profits are coming from, etc., etc. And then there's also the issue of gharar, you know, what we call deception, which we are not really certain about what the uh, payout is going to be or how it works, etc. So there's some uncertainties around that. And so generally speaking, life insurance uh, in its commercial or in its ordinary form as we know it should not be uh, engaged in, except if there is necessity. What do we mean by necessity? Sometimes they, they don't give you a choice, you know. You have to take out life insurance. Let's say you buy a property, uh, so they won't uh, give you a loan unless you take out life insurance. Mm. So in that case, we take it as a necessity, and necessity has its own rulings, of course, but generally speaking, it is something that uh, should be avoided if possible. Jazakallah. Now, Sheikh, uh, another inheritance question. It says, uh, I'm a single mother, and I have a son and a daughter. Please explain how I should make out my will, Kanala. Yeah, it's very simple. Um, uh, we, we will give two scenarios. If you have no parents, remember, if you have a mother or a father, they will always inherit. If you have no parents, then it's very simple to work out your inheritance. Basically, your son and daughter will take the entire estate. And, of course, the son will get a double share and your daughter will get a single share. So, percentage-wise, your son will get 66.6% and your daughter will get 33.3%, right? Uh, If there are parents, however, you've got a mother or a father or both of them, then obviously they will also inherit. And the portion that they will inherit is one-sixth, right? One-sixth or 16.6% is what your mother and your father would inherit. Um, So, in that case, obviously, you have to consider their presence as well and so once they have taken their share of the inheritance which is the 16.6 percent then your daughter and your son will take the remaining share after that and the remaining share will again be divided in the same way that we just described now where your son gets a double share and the daughter gets a single share so the son still gets 66.6 percent from the remaining share and your daughter gets the 33.3 percent of that remaining share 
Okay, so a similar question earlier and without the second wife, Sheikh. Salah, my wife, walked out of the marriage. She just does what she wants to do, go and do whatever she wants without telling me. Uh, she also blocks me from messages uh, to her to uh, on her phone. I can't go to her. She, don't, she doesn't want to open the door for me. Must I still nafaka her, Sheikh? And now she's forcing for a talaq. Yeah, of course, we had answered this question uh, where we said that nafaka is not due under those circumstances, uh, especially if the wife is not really playing a role as a wife and there's no marital relations or interactions, etc. Then obviously there is no nafaka due. Uh, and what we should uh, be trying to motivate here is that um, instead of forcing for talaq, let's try to see if reconciliation is possible. Right, get the couple together, and as bad as it may seem, we, we, we never know. Sometimes there is maybe a scope, you know, or some hope that things can be salvaged. So, if that is the case, then that is the route we should follow. Uh, however, you as a husband should know if it's uh, gone beyond that already. Right, uh, because it seems uh, quite serious that she, you know, doesn't want to speak to you. She doesn't want to message you. You can't. She doesn't even open the door for you, uh, etc. So obviously, it it shows that it's quite uh, at a very bad stage already. And uh, perhaps uh, if that is the case, and you as a husband feel that look, there's no way of salvaging this marriage in any way, then you should consider giving her a divorce without her begging for it. Because it's best to cut ties in this way or to, you know, to go your own separate ways. Because as I mentioned many times before, uh, talaq, as bad as it is or as bitter as it is, it is a solution to come out of a predicament. Because you don't want to keep her in suspense. You don't want her to be married but also not married at the same time, right? Because maybe she wants to carry on with her life. You want to carry on with your life. So sometimes divorce is the best option as a final resort. Uh, and so uh, maybe you should uh, think about this if you know that it has gone beyond the point of reconciliation. But if not, if there's even a small slight percentage chance that uh, you can still reconcile, then I would rather motivate for that. And as I mentioned, nafaka during these times that you are not living in your marital home and there's no marital understanding, etc. Nafaka towards this wife of yours is not really required. Assalamu alaikum. Sheikh, kindly explain the seriousness if the idda, idda is not performed correctly. Now, of course, uh, the, the idda is quite important for, for a woman, uh, whether she's divorced or whether, whether she had lost a husband. And uh, what we must understand is it's a religious obligation which Allah Ta'ala instructs her with, and it is for her own uh, go- goodwill. It is actually to protect her integrity. You know, as a woman, because if you your husband has divorced you or your husband had died, it means you are in a mourning period. Number one, so you are mourning your spouse. Uh, number two is uh, that uh, you may be pregnant, for example. So you want to have clarity where the preg- pregnancy is coming from. And number three is uh, uh, the issue of just generally your integrity. You know, we know that if a person just uh, got divorced or the husband just passed on and immediately that woman moves on and gets married or mixes with people or alludes to the fact that she want to get married etc it's as if marriage don't mean a lot to her as if you know there is no integrity behind the whole thing so it's to protect you know people from talking bad things about her etc so uh, women, women under idda they should take it quite seriously and of course it doesn't mean that uh, let's say they are under idda they should confine themselves to their homes of course but if they have to leave because of work let's say there's no other way of uh, looking after themselves or, uh, you know, uh, um, surviving. And of course, they can leave their, their homes in order to go and work and come back again. It doesn't mean they have to be in a prison, you know, or it doesn't mean that they have to suffer, you know, if they, if they, if they need to go for, for, let's say they have to go to hospital. 
we're not going to say, well, you're under idda, you know, rather die and, and not go to hospital because you're under idda. That, that wouldn't make sense. You would go to hospital and at all times you would try your best to keep yourself, you know, uh, in, in an honorable way. You go there, you come back without unnecessarily going around and mixing with strange people, etc. It is all for the protection, obviously, of this woman. Uh, and as I mentioned, it could be, there could be pregnancy, there could be other issues as well. And all those things uh, needs to be considered. And over and beyond that, the first point that I made was, I said that it is a religious obligation. So it is a, it's actually ibadah in a sense. You are in a sense of ibadah, you know, and we shouldn't try to go against that because that is what Allah Ta'ala wishes from us. Jazakallah. So, Sheikh, her husband is married to a wife for 12 years and after 12 years, she discovered discovered social media. Um, and she's on her phone and her tablet constantly chatting to people um, and the husband wants to know what is the Islamic perspective of this because she does not make any time for him. What can he do? What is his right, Sheikh? Yeah, I think most probably this is the complaint of many husbands and yeah, the uh, many Samsung wives as well. Thing. Yeah. Yeah, many wives as well and many husbands as well. Mm. Because it's obviously a common thing nowadays, you know, and it's uh, it's actually something which is uh, it has brought so much ease into our lives in many ways. But at the same time it has taken such a lot of things away from our lives also. You know, um, in the sense that a cell phone, it can be very beneficial. It can give you information. It can give you a map, you know, to go somewhere. You can communicate with people. So it's a good thing. But at the same time, it has taken away our time, you know. So we spend less time with people. We are less attentive to our spouses when they speak to us. Or, you know, I I see when people eat, for example. So they're sitting around the table. And uh, we are all sometimes guilty of this. And we are supposed to be enjoying, you know, the meal and sitting with family. We find people on cell phones, mm-hmm. and that is actually very bad because you are missing out, you know, on communicating, etc. So obviously, the Islamic perspective of this is once it reaches a point where the wife is actually neglecting her duties as a husband, then it becomes a major problem. You know, it becomes actually one could say it's haram for her to engage in those things if it's at the expense of the duties towards the husband. And the same goes for the husband as well. If he's on the phone all the time and it's at the expense of not giving haq to his wife, etc., then it could become haram for him as well. So we should all you know, engage in these uh, things, the media and so on, uh, to the extent which is beneficial to us. But once it becomes actually detrimental is when we neglect our duties. We find people, for example, they would sit on this media and the adhan would go off. And it's salah time, you know. Mm. But even that doesn't take priority now because you want to just, uh, you know, uh, surf or post something or Facebook, whatever the case may be. And it is quite bad. And so we should advise people at all times uh, that please use these things that is beneficial, you know, in a manner that is beneficial to you and not detrimental to you as an individual, as a family person, as a community person, as a father, as a husband. And I find it quite strange, you know, it's not only like you find like the kids, obviously they play games or they have a lot of things to, to do on the phone. We find the parents also, you see, uh, you know, in one family you find that father, mother, all children, they are sitting with their phones, you know. Playing Candy Crush. Playing playing Candy Crush or playing whatever. (laughs) And there's very little talking or communication taking place. And it's really, it's a big test, I think, a big Mm. challenge that we all are having with this, uh, you know, this uh, tools of media that we have 
uh, in the palms of our hands but uh, inshallah we hope that Allah Ta'ala guides us always you know and we find also so many marriages break down because of these things mm. you know because people post things that are unnecessary or post things that are um, un- unsuitable in fact for people to post or there's issues of chatting with people that are strange etc which causes suspicion and so on and so it causes a lot of marital problems as well mm. so we must be extremely careful how we use this and you as husband you have a right to tell your wife you know um, you can uh, nothing wrong to have a phone but it's limits to everything mm. you have to you know let's say the wife is playing on the phone and the baby's crying or the baby needs a you know a small infant baby the phone should be put down because that uh, little baby is in need of your care and assistance mm. at that point in time and that is exactly why Allah Ta'ala didn't make it far for you to go for Jumu'ah let's say for example because you've got other duties maybe that are more important mm. so imagine you neglect those duties on account of playing with the phone uh, it, sh- it shows the danger of where it can lead to so uh, inshallah we hope people will be more uh, sensible mm. all of us I mean I'm not saying people like people out there I'm talking to myself yeah. as well you know we hope that we all will become more sensible users of these uh, beneficial things which Allah had given us so I found an interesting tool on the phone Sheikh to not to be distracted by every message and every ping and phone call that comes in there is a um, I think in your settings you're able to set your phone on to do not disturb so the messages and calls and stuff will come through like they you know should but you won't be distracted by it so it it, it is uh, th- I think a human thing to run when you hear the phone ring um, but in this case not always for the cell phone <laughs> inshallah so may Allah grant us understanding okay so Sheikh um, someone wants to know Assalamualaikum Sheikh how does one explain to a non-Muslim why they cannot visit our holy cities yeah, I, I suppose it's uh, very similar to a person, you know, going to any country and you obviously seek a visa and the visa has certain requirements mm. and you'll find in certain European countries the requirements are actually, you know, very uh, strange indeed. You know, certain things that they want you to disclose or certain things that you have to say you agree to and uh, upon the agreement of those things, that is the time that they will give you your visa so obviously in uh, the Muslim countries this is the law that when it comes to the sanctuaries of Makkah and Medina uh, you know one of the laws is that it's for Muslims you know to enter and not for non-Muslims so it's just like a visa requirement for any other country Uh, that is possibly the best way to explain to a non-Muslim person that once you have the visa you can obviously enter you know and to get that visa there's requirements and the requirements is Islam Mm. just like other countries have certain other criteria on their visa requirement list for people to enter their countries right um, for example some European countries they state on their visa application forms that you you must agree to be um, to be friendly or to be accepting towards let's say uh, homosexuals lesbians, okay, lesbians yeah. <laughs> and that if you don't have that then you won't get a visa okay. right so obviously those are their criteria they if you know it's their sovereign sovereign country they have the right to do that So just as they have those kind of rights, any other country has other rights. And it differs from country to country. And so for our holy cities, that is the visa requirements for you to be a Muslim to enter. uh, And Allah knows best. And inshallah, they wouldn't take it as being discriminatory. Not at all. Not at all. Alright, so Sheikh, there's been a, um, a WhatsApp messages that's been going around, one specifically that mentions about um, Ramadan that begins in May and a hadith that says uh, that whoever informs others on the day uh, of the Ramadan that it starts, the fire of hell will be haram for that person. Sheikh, is this correct? No, it's absolutely incorrect. Uh, I've mentioned before 
that all these uh, alleged ahadith or sayings of the Prophet that say if you tell the person about Ramadan coming, it's a hundred days away, you will get such and such a reward, etc. Because you were the first person telling that person about Ramadan and so on. We must be careful. Uh, these are not ahadith. These are fabrications. And before we send things on media, before we engage in these things, we must be very alert you know, not to send something unless we are ourselves certain of it. Because mm. it's a very serious crime if a person says a hadith while it is not a hadith, mm. right? There's, uh, in fact, a hadith that says, مَنْ كَذِبَ عَلَيَّ مُتَعَمِّدًا فَلْيَتَبَوَّأْ مَقْعَدَهُ مِنَ النَّارِ And this hadith is a very authentic hadith. The Prophet ﷺ had said, a person who lies something, who tells something as a lie in my name, saying mm. that I said so, he should prepare for himself and abode in the fire of Jahannam. So we should be very careful, you know, not to forward these messages. Um, make sure that you first consult with your imam or your sheikh or somebody that ha- that is learned, mm. that at least have the background. And you know the internet, we just spoke about the media now. The internet is full of these things. Mm. But not everything on there is okay. Not everything is acceptable. Yeah, right? and if you don't do it, you will be, I don't know what. Yeah, so something yeah. will happen to you if you don't forward it and you will have bad luck for seven years and all these things. And these things shouldn't op- occupy, these s- silly things really shouldn't occupy the minds of Muslims, you know. We've got bigger things to be looking at. But nonetheless, the advice is please be sure. That particular one, there's no hadith like that to say that there's a certain reward. If you tell somebody about Ramadan, there's no hadith uh, as far as I know uh, in terms of that. Can Sheikh kindly explain the adab of, in of attending a janazah and elaborate exactly on what is happening with the mayor during that time? Until the merit is, is buried. Yeah, it's a very, uh, I suppose, a long topic. Okay. So uh, should we perhaps just say something about it after the break? Inshallah, inshallah. inshallah. Shukran so much uh, for that. Uh, questions, we will ask more of yours just after the short break. Please do stay tuned. Questions and answers with Sheikh Ibrahim Wuss. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi Welcome back. Okay, so um, taking your questions via SMS on 47913. A, a fax line is open on 021-447-271 in studio Sheikh Ibrahim Wurs. So Sheikh, kindly um, explain the adab of attending a janazah and elaborate exactly on what is happening with the maid during the time until the maid is buried. It's a very, I think that's a very interesting question to explain to your kids as well. Yeah, it's a, like I said before the break, it's quite a long question and elaborate one and uh, we cannot obviously in a few minutes give you a lot of details but just a couple of things um, for example the adab of attending a janaza uh, you know one should know that you are there to uh, support the family and you are there to make dua for the mayyit and you are there to reflect you know it's all about reflection for yourself as well and so one shouldn't go there in a state of heedlessness you know unfortunately people attend janazas but they go in a state of heedlessness what I mean by this is they go to a janaza and it should be a time of deep reflection, but yet they are sitting and chatting and wasting their time, you know, with things that are mundane or the sports or the weather and stuff like that. And also sometimes with loud voices that may be disturbing to others, especially the family of the mayyit, etc. So when we do attend a janaza, let us go there with the purpose of those three things, as I mentioned, to make dua for the mayyit, to support the family and to reflect. Because Sayyidina Umar radiallahu anhu used to say, that death is enough of an admonition or a lesson for you, O Umar. In other words, if you're not going to take lesson from death, then nothing else will be a lesson for you. 
you know and if somebody dies what you what is going through your mind is that could have been me lying there and am i actually prepared for it am i uh, you know uh, able to meet my, uh, my creator allah ta'ala in the current state that i'm in you know did i do enough good did i settle all my my wrongs in this dunya before i meet allah ta'ala so those are of the adab you know we should obviously be in that sense of reflection and then also of the adab is to support the family and not to have expectations from them you know this is also a very bad habit we go to janazas and we expect them to feed us or expect them to give us this or expect them to put a table out and spread out and stuff like this you know um, if the family do it out of themselves it's nothing wrong but we shouldn't have expectations and we shouldn't tell them to do this you know in fact we should be the one the ones supporting them and bringing food to them and giving them you know uh, we should do that if they do it on their own it's fine but we shouldn't uh, uh, make it a habit of uh, making them feel almost like you know they not giving a good janaza or they're not giving a good uh, you know entertainment for people coming it's not about entertainment and then with regards to what happens to the maid the maid of course is fully aware of what is happening around him the ruh has left the body of course as we know but that ruh is still very much aware there's a hadith that says that when the, the maid is even placed in his qabr he actually hears the footsteps you know he can still hear the footsteps that retrieve and that goes and what the prophet had told us is that you know we should prepare for that moment when we are placed into the grave because it is only our deeds that will remain behind everything will leave us you know our money will leave us our family will leave us and it's only your deeds that will actually remain with you in the qabr hmm. okay so we should recite quran and we should make dhikr uh, in whatever manner we wish to do so uh, and also in a manner that is not uh, you know upsetting to the people of the house etc they must be considered at all times because they are the ones obviously that are facing this difficulty at this moment in time and uh, inshallah perhaps on another occasion when we have uh, a longer period of time for discussion we can give you some more details on uh, surrounding some of these issues, inshallah. Inshallah, yes, it's a show on its own. Jazakallah, Sheikh. Assalamu alaikum, Sheikh. My daughter married, uh, is married and pregnant. She's staying with me for two months now. Husband doesn't nafaka her um, or phone her, nothing at all. What are her advice with regards to the situation um, and maybe even wa- once the baby's born? Yeah, of course, the, uh, the husband, you know, he should be uh, taking care of his wife. So if there's problems between them, he should not shy, shy away from his responsibilities. Uh, especially now that the wife is pregnant, even more so she is in need of support, etc. Um, so obviously, uh, nafaka is wajib you know, upon him uh, under the circumstances, both for him and if the child is born, the child will also remain his responsibility. And uh, her rights is that she deserves all of this. And even according to our law in the country, you know, she can actually go to the uh, courts and uh, the what we call the maintenance courts, and she can actually demand her nafaka, you know, from him. And this is what she should do if she feels there's no other way of convincing him about this. Uh, and it's a very, very important uh, aspect, you know, that uh, the husband has to look after. And if he for, for, forsakes this, then he puts himself in a very bad position, um, as we mentioned many times many times before and Allah says in the Quran in Surah Al-Baqarah it is upon the father to provide for the, uh, for the wife uh, risk which is sustenance you know nafaka uh, and clothing you know that's all forms part of nafaka so uh, if for example you feel that there's no way you know the husband is gone or whatever and he's not coming back or your, 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 your daughter is suffering and she wants out of the marriage, then you should uh, rather let her go, you know, 
And if he doesn't want to, then you can actually apply for a fasakh on grounds of not receiving nafaka, and a fasakh indeed will be will be given on these grounds. So that's where we're going to have to leave Q&A for this edition. Shukran so much for your questions and your answers. I'm sorry, for your questions and uh, all of the details that you have sent. And we hope that your answers were, um, um, your questions were answered rather. We uh, say a big shukran to Sheikh Ibrahim Wurz. Much appreciate Sheikh. And um, inshallah, we will see Sheikh again next week. Be well. Jazakumullah khaira to you and to all our listeners for tuning in. May Allah Ta'ala protect us and guide us always. Until we meet again, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh. Wa alaikum wassalamu wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. And shukran so much to you for your patience as we got through uh, some of the questions uh, that was backlogged. Please uh, do call our reception 021 If you have any questions about maybe replaying any of the shows of Q&A, uh, you can download iono.fm and also find some of the shows there as well. For myself, Khawa Salman, be good. And I hope you are well wherever you are. Wassalamu alaikum, be safe and goodbye for now.